You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning, Hope family. My name is Danielle, and my family and I have been attending Hope for almost six years. I'm one of the co-leaders of the Women's Bible Study, and I'm just going to put it out there really quick. We are now meeting in the big room because we've outgrown the next-gen house. 9 to 11. So if you'll all stand with me for today's reading. The passage today is Judges 14, 1 through 4. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is my right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Turn to someone around you, if you don't mind, and say good morning to them for a moment. So as you get comfortable, grab your Bibles and your devices. Today, we teach from the book of Judges, chapter 14, as we are actually winding down our series through the book of Judges together, Samson being the last judge that we find in the book of Judges. So today is also... A very important day before we get to the sermon. And today is somebody's birthday, actually. So we want to say happy anniversary. And you're wondering who, right? Who is that? Well, it's, uh, I guess it's an anniversary then, isn't it? Not a birthday, I suppose, right? So today is Hope Fellowship's anniversary. Today is the day. Today we are 17 years old. Isn't that great? 17 years and uh, we want to say to, it's kind of weird, right? Say to Hope Fellowship, happy birthday. And I guess then you should say thank you, right? Because that's who you are, correct? And uh, we are excited about uh, the past 17 years and just amazingly excited about the coming, wow, more 17 years as well. And uh, just just think you have to look at me for 17 more years. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Oh, man. But what a great, what a great uh, just blessing the Lord has placed upon our church and how God has used us over these years as a church. And when I say us, I'm talking about all of us together as a body. So we wanted to mention that to you this morning as, as a way of celebration. So let's jump right into the study of Samuel because this is a pretty exhaustive chapter. There are 20 verses in chapter 14. And, and I will actually go back and read all of them because it's, it's a narrative and I just can't leave any of them out. I've tried to figure out how to do that. So when we look at people like Samson, when we teach on people like Samson, well, it tends to be like a character study. But I thought about this, these verses this week, and, and I asked myself a question, is this a character study, or is this a study of the character and the nature of God? And, and I, I, what I realize is that in chapter 14, it is both as well. Samson is a character. I mean, he is in all sense of the word. He is very much a character. 
But what we see in this study today, and we'll see next week and the week after, or, or when we get back to the book of, of uh, Judges, is this struggle of our humanity in this broken world. That Samson's life is about the days we get it right and the days we really, really get it wrong. And in Samson's life, he doesn't get a lot of days right. But those days, as you and I both have them, that there are days when we get it right and the days when we get it really wrong. But here is the thing that we're going to find in the life of Samson. It is how God works in both of those days of our life. That God doesn't walk away from us on those days when we get it wrong. Now, you got to get this right. And there's a lot of rights and wrongs here for a moment. But you got to get this right, that God does not walk away from us in those moments, in those days when we get it wrong. And, and when you look at Samson's life, don't let the magnitude of his failures understand that, persuade you that somehow this is not for me and this is for someone else in this room. It's not because what we see in these verses is very much principles that apply to every one of us in this room. So I want to start, first of all, in chapter 13, where Nathan left off last week, who Nathan did an amazing job introducing us to Samson, this judge we find in the book of Judges. But I want to start with chapter 13 and verse 24. And it says, And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. Now, realize this, that Manoah is the father. We do not know the mother's name. So she's barren. God speaks to them through a theophany. That is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, as Nathan taught us last week. And it goes on to say, and the young man grew, and the, man, and the Lord blessed him. But look at verse 25. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. I stopped there, and I thought about this for a moment, that the Spirit of God began to stir him. And so I thought, what does that really mean for you and I, right? What is that? You get this connotation of God just maybe just shaking him or doing something of that nature. But when I look at the word stirred in the Hebrew, what it means is disturb. It's the same word for the word disturb, that God began to disturb him is what the scripture says. And it's an interesting word. And what I realize that there are times when God disturbs us. Realize this in a very good way that God stirs us to move us to something or to move us to a place that God has designed us to be. You see, here's Samson. He's set apart as a Nazarite. He's blessed. He's shaped by God in the Holy Spirit working in his life. He has every spiritual potential that you could think of anyone having in the Old Testament. You see those things in the life of Samson. He is the great last judge of, of Israel found in the book of Judges. He is Israel's last hope in the book of Judges as well. He's set by God to rescue and to rule Israel as he would obey God. But then God comes into his life as a young man and God disturbs him. Thought about that. So in September of 2022, Brad, my son and I, we took a trip out west. I've told you about it before. It was really life-changing for us, those 10 or 11 days that we spent out there in the mountains off-roading and camping and all those great things in Colorado. And we were on a trail called Imogene Trail. It's one of the highest trails in the country that you can drive. It goes over 13,000 feet high, and it's all off-road. And when you get past the tree line, then it looks like moonscape. It looks like you're on another planet. And when we were up there that day, that we came across a lake at 12,000 feet, 
a lake right on the top of that beautiful mountain. And the water was as blue as you could have ever imagine. I, we saw no fish. I don't think there were fish in it, but it was unbelievable. And it was so still. It was like glass. And I thought for a moment that this pond is just way too still for this moment, right? So what did I do? I mean, we're in an area that's just inundated with rocks. So I grab a rock and I take a rock and I chunk it out in the middle of this pond as far as I can, right? And it hits in the middle of the pond. And all of a sudden from that splash becomes ripples that disturbs all the rest of that beautiful blue water that we found that day on Imogene Pass. And I, and I thought about this it, as, as I saw this word disturbed, that God is saying to Samson, Samson, it's time for you to do what I've called you to do because I've set you apart to do my work for Israel. And so how does this apply to you and I? That God maybe is speaking to you this morning, that he's stirring you, that God is, well, I, I found, I brought a rock in from the landscaping outside, right? That God is perhaps disturbing you. That God is dropping a rock in the middle of your pond of complacency and comfort in life. And he's disturbing you for a reason because God has a greater purpose and a greater call within your life. So I want you to take that thought and maybe to use it as the brush of our talk this morning together that you entertain the possibility that God is dropping a rock in the middle of your pond is what he's doing. He's creating some ripples in your life for a greater purpose within you. He's challenging you in some areas of your life because I want to tell you that this text is absolutely challenging for us. So let's go to chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Samson went to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines, so let me share with you four thoughts this morning. And they all start with this statement. It all starts in Timnah. Because we have to start where it all begins. It all starts in Timnah. Because from the very beginning of this chapter, we begin to see the character of, of Samson being revealed to you and I is what we're doing. Because that is of utmost importance that we see that. And when you see this character being revealed of Samson... We see so many times where, it's all, where his name is coupled with something that he sees and it's something that he wants in life because he's a man that is dominated by his senses. Samson is not dominated by logic in any way, as we're going to discover in a few moments. He's not dominated by sober thinking or clear thinking. He's not even dominated by the Spirit of God. Samson follows his sensual instincts. If he feels something... And if he feels like he wants this, then he goes for it is what he does. And so as an Israelite, he sees a daughter of the enemy. Listen, the Philistines have been, uh, they've been the captors of Israel for 40 years now. And he goes down to Timnah, he sees this Philistine babe, and he says that she is more appealing to him than all the daughters of Israel. It is like how sin works in my life and your life as well, isn't it? That it tempts us with the things that, well, we may not, we cannot have or should not have. And that is exactly what it does in the life of, of Samson. But it's a sin as old as the book of Genesis because it's a sin that simply says, 
that I know more about what is best for me in my life than God does. Wow. And so I look at this and we hear this, we hear the name Philistines a lot. We know that they are an idol worshiping nation that his occupying part of Canaan. We know that from the very beginning of our study, God told Israel to to separate themselves from all all the idol-worshiping nations, to run them out of the promised land as well. But they live there and they live as neighbors and now they're captors of Israel as well. We, we, We know the Philistines from later Bible stories with David and others, but I wanna ask the question, who are the Philistines? Other than they, they are an idol worship nation, who are the Philistines? Because when you see them mentioned throughout Scripture, what well, we realize is that they're a type and a shadow of something. The Philistines are a type and a shadow of, of sin in our life, but not just any sin, but a struggle, a stronghold in your life, which you just cannot shake on your own. The Philistines plague Israel for 150 years. 150 years, they're a pain in the backside of Israel as a nation, is what they are. Samson begins the deliverance for Israel, but yet we know that David finishes the job, but it's 150 years. It's a struggle sometimes, and it's a type and shadow of a struggle sometimes that you and I might have in our life that we can find ourselves growing comfortable with because it's been around so long within us. You see, Samson's carnal inclinations overtake his perception. And to understand these actions from Samson that are about to occur, then I think we have to really understand his personality, his propensity to sin, and his spirituality, his heart. Because in Samson, we see a little of ourselves as well. So this is not a sermon just to men because Samson is a male. This is not a sermon, uh, just a sermon about sensuality because that is a huge issue for Samson as well. But if you are human, okay, and I assume that you are, right? If you are human, then this applies to you today because here's what God is doing in our life. God is dropping a rock into your pond. He's disturbing you with these words to change in your life. Because this verse, this chapter, is not just about how to throw your life away, but it's about the slippery slope that lands you into Delilah's lap. It's the trek of spiritual blindness that can happen to any of us in this room. The enslavement of our enemies, the humiliation of our sin, of being led and tied between two pillars in a Philistine temple for your enemy's entertainment, and that is the way your life ends. Isn't that what Satan wants to do to all of us in this room? Isn't it? Sure it is. Because it all starts at Timnah. Listen, The failure of our faith always has a birthplace. Understand that. And that birthplace is our heart and our minds. 
realize that. It has a place that it begins. But let me give you some good news into what seems like I've started out really bad, right? You know, this is the book of Judges. Somebody told me not long ago, they said, are we almost finished with the book of Judges? They asked me a question. I said, yeah, we're almost at the end. And they said, thank God, is what they said, right? I don't know if they enjoy it or they're just glad it's going to be over, correct? Yes, I know it's very challenging. I realize it, but here's some good news. And, and when you look at the life of, of Samson, where does God meet him? God meets him in the places that he should not be in. And God meets him in Timnah as well. And here's the thought for you this morning. You cannot, you cannot outrun God. You cannot place yourself out of the reach of God anywhere in this life. Understand that, that God even comes to you when you're in Timnah checking out the Philistine babes. Right. True. Yeah. So uh, you greeted the person next to you. You know this is coming, right? Because it's kind of, it sort of like brings a little um, comfort to the room to know that we're kind of all in the same boat as well, I guess you might say. You know? and, and so could you turn to the person next to you and say that God is with you even in Timnah while you're checking out the Philistine babes? Could you say that to somebody around you? Could you say that to them? Does that, is that like, that's not gender specific, right? I mean, it goes both ways. Isn't that right? I guess. Can a guy be a babe? I suppose so. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm looking for, yes. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Nathan says yes. Okay, so if Nathan says yes, it is yes. So be it. Amen. Yeah. Wow. Even in those times where you are, where you should not be. That God reaches you there. I want you to see this for a moment and I have to move on because there's so much to talk about today. But, but here is the thing that in this digression of your life spiritually, that, that there is a starting point. I think it's important for us to know those triggers, right? It's for us to know those starting points and, and here is the thought. Samson should have never gone to Timnah. That's, that wasn't God's call on his life to be an evangelist to the Philistines. No, God's call on Samson's life was to kill the Philistines. I mean, that's real. In reality, that's exactly what God called him to do. Yet he finds himself immersing his life into their culture. Verse 2. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife, is what he says. Here's the second thought. It all starts in Timnah. They all start just like that and will lead to a disregard in your life for godly guidance. This is how sin works in our lives, that we find ourselves in the wrong place, a place where we should not be. The next step is that we disregard godly guidance. It's that conversation that someone has with you saying, hey, listen, I love you, but I don't want to overstep my bounds in your life. But hey, you don't belong in Timnah. That is not where you should be. I love you, but nothing good is going to come from you hanging out in the Philistine city with that, with that woman that you have your eye on. You're a Nazarite. You've been set apart by God. You've been equipped to do God's work. This is not God's design for your life. 
God designed you for something greater from birth, Samson. So, so what are you doing here? And you can take those thoughts and you can change the words around and you can put your name in there and your circumstances in there and you will find that it fits very well. And so what God is doing today in this text, he's stirring you. He's dropping a rock into the pond of your life to disturb you, to wake you up. You see, here's Samson. He makes this demand on his father and mother. He re- it reveals a total disregard for authority in his life. I want to give you, I, I call it a side note perhaps, but I think it very much fits here. And here's the thought, and I wrote this in my journal this week. If you have a parental authority issue, then you have a divine authority issue. For all of you adolescents in the room, for all of you that are still living at home, you know, and you're eating your parents' food and you're living under their roof and you're enjoying the heat of their house during the wintertime, I love you. I really do. But I've been exactly where you are. And I think this is so true. If you have a parental authority issue, you have a divine authority issue in your life. I just made friends with everybody still living at home, didn't I? Yeah, I, I just did, absolutely. You see, here's Samson. He's unwilling to delay this gratification in his life. He's unwilling to allow reason to prevail, the voice of God to prevail in his life. But he's a Nazarite. Look at verse three. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives? Don't you have an eye for any of your cousins? Is what he's saying, right? yes. Isn't that interesting? And it's not even South Carolina. Or, um, that was a joke, okay? Or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. And when he uses the word uncircumcised here, he's talking about spiritual circumcision. But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes, is what he says. When I look at this verse, what I realize is that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson to do all of these superhuman acts throughout his story as well. But the angel of the Lord, this theophany that Nathan talked about last week of Jesus appearing in the Old Testament, speaks to his mom and his dad. I think this is a very powerful text and example of regarding spiritual wisdom that is delivered to your life and my life through that of godly parents or godly friends or other believers in my life. And where I go wrong is this. I put myself in Timna where I should not be. And then I disregard, I disregard godly counsel from other people around me. And you're going to find yourself in trouble if you're doing that. But this is not just a Samson issue. This is an Israel issue. This whole story began in Judges 13 and 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And if they do what evil is in the sight of the Lord, that means they're doing what is they think is good in their own sight as well. So this is, this is a national cultural problem for them. It's what primarily drives their lives. No one is going to stand in my way, is what they're saying, from what I want. So he's not yet physically blind, and we know he will become physically blind eventually, but yet he is spiritually blind, which I believe is far more impairing in that of being physically blind as well. 
He's blind to any kind of judicial thinking within his life. He's blinded by what he thinks is right. Listen, the greatest deception in our lives is self-deception because we don't know that we're being deceived. And that's where he is. So I ask myself a question this week because Israel has been captured by the Philistines for 40 years. So how could Samson marry a daughter of his captors? How does that work, right? How does, how does, how does that work out? How does he marry a daughter of his captors? But here is the thought that you have to become comfortable with your captors first before you date them and before you marry them and before you sleep with them. See, Sam's not crying out, is he? He's not crying out for deliverance and that's what he should be doing. No, no, he's crying out for her. He's telling his mom and dad to get me the Philistine babe. That's it. You see, Samson's call from birth was to eliminate the Philistines and not assimilate into the Philistine culture. I think the greatest temptation, and, I, and I, some writers have voiced this as well about this chapter in chapter 14 of Judges, is that the greatest temptation of my life and your life today is assimilation. It's assimilating ourselves into our current culture. That to be cliche-ish for a moment, that and you maybe if you've gone to church, you've heard this before, that we're living in this world, but we're not of this world. Have you heard that statement before? And it's such a true statement. Remember our series from the book of First Peter, we called it exiles. And First Peter chapter two says that you are sojourners. You're passing through the world, not passing by. We have an obligation to the world around us. We have an obligation to stand for what is just. We have an obligation to fight for what is right. We have an obligation to care for people that is around us, but we constantly do all of that with the understanding umbrella over our heads that we are not of this world. Romans 12 says this, do not be conformed to this age. Philippians chapter three says our citizenship is in heaven. The greatest temptation for you and I in this life is to assimilate into the culture of the world. And that's exactly what Samson does. He basically somewhat becomes this hybrid individual between that of an Israelite and a Philistine is exactly what he does. Well, look at verse four. And his father and mother did not know that. And this is a very, I think, confusing verse that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. It's a challenging verse. It is. And it doesn't mean that God made me do it. That's not what he's saying. That's not what the writer is saying at all. Listen, here's what it's saying, that God loves you enough. God loves you more than enough that he will not stand back and watch you disintegrate spiritually before him. He is not gonna do that. 
God will stir up something inside of you. God will stir up some trouble to awake you to truth is what he's saying. He will make you uncomfortable in your comfortability in this life. If you are assimilating into culture, God will create some conflict just for you in life. Because sometimes in this life, God just needs to drop a rock in the middle of your pond. We need to be disturbed. And that's what God is doing in the life of Samson. That God will disturb us in the middle of our complacency or in in the middle of our comfortability in this life. Listen, let me say this before I move on. And I think it's important theologically for you to understand that, that this statement in no way implies that God is the cause of Samson's sin. That's not what it's saying. It's saying if you go to the New Testament, the book of James chapter one, temptation comes from our own desire is what the scripture says. It doesn't come from God. So I want you to be clear on this. This is about Samson's lustful desire for that Philistine babe is exactly what this is about. But God works in his life in spite, in spite of his sinful motives. Because God is sovereign in all things. It's the same thing that Joseph says to his brothers in the book of Genesis when he is in Egypt. And he says, his brothers who sold him into slavery, he says to them, what you meant for evil, God used for good. That's exactly what that verse means. Because if Samson is just left up to himself, he will be satisfied just to live with the Philistines. That is absolutely clear. He's hanging out in Timnah. Now he's marrying a Philistine woman. And so it's clear that if God doesn't drop a rock in his pond to shake him up a little bit, he is content to just do that. What I say to you today is God has a plan. Realize that. God has a plan for your life and my life. But when you look at this text, you have to be careful with this text, with this truth. Because if you take it out of context, then it can be very dangerous. Because it can say to you, you know what? I can just do whatever I want and live however I want in life. But ultimately, God is sovereign. So everything is going to work out in the end for me. No, read the end of the story. Not right now, right? But read the end of the story about Samson. It is not a beautiful ending. And also realize this, in the end, he loses the girl as well. Jesus redeems our souls, but not always every outcome of our decisions. I I think that's a huge point to understand when we see this verse in, in, in verse four, where it talks about it was from the Lord what is happening that realizes that God redeems our souls, but not always every outcome of our decision, that, I, that, that it doesn't matter how I live. And we've talked about this so many times together that it absolutely matters how I conduct myself in this life. Verse five, let me read these verses, five verses, little long, but stay with me for a moment because you need to hear this. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. Remember, there are three things a Nazarite cannot do. And Nathan said these last week, three things. One is this, they can't touch anything 
that's a product of grapes. So there's no wine, you know, none of that, no grape jelly, none of those kinds of things. If, if Samson showed up here, he could not take communion with us on a, on a communion Sunday because we, we, you know, we use Welch's, right? Yeah, I mean, we go all out. So uh, we, we use the good stuff. And, and so he cannot do that. He cannot touch any dead thing, anything that's dead, and he cannot cut his hair. So keep that in mind for a moment. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring, and then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. <clears throat> I have to stop for a moment and drink and then say something. So give me a second. <clears throat> that the goat tearing thing, I don't understand. I, I, I really, I have looked and I've looked, but I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> Is that... Is it like, you know, I, I mean, we, we, we get together and play cornhole. They get together and tear goats. I don't know, right? I, I really don't know what that means. Hey, y'all come over. We're having a goat tearing party. Bring your own goat. I, 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 let's see, B, B-Y-O-G, right? Bring your own goat. So there you go. And, uh, sorry, bad joke. I know. So there you go. So I don't know what that means, but figure it out and let me know. Please send me a, an email and let me know. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And then he went down and he talked with the women, the woman, and, and, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Again, that's it. Remember, it's all about how what he sees. He's so driven by that sensuality in his life. His, his dad's with him and, but, and mom's with him, but he doesn't huddle up and pray with him and say, is this the right thing or the wrong thing? No, he's made up his mind. And after some days, he returned to take her. He married her and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in only the New Testament can be, oh, the Old Testament can be written like this. I love it. In the body of the lion and honey, he scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother, gave some to them and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. And and I stop and say this before our third point is this, that this feast is actually written in that of a, a male form of language. So what this is, is a bachelor party, very much that of a Philistine thing. We can see how... We can see how Samson has begun to assimilate himself into Philistine culture. The third thought is this. It all starts in Timnah, which we say every time, and ultimately leads to a greater compromise of our commitments. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. and I think we've talked about this many times throughout the book of Judges as well, that you can't play fast and loose with your spiritual commitment. You can't. Realize that. You can't play fast and loose with your spiritual commitment. Three times in six verses, it talks about going down or he went down. And that's more than geography. That is the digression of Samson's life spiritually. Because you can only go down to Timnah so many times until you marry a Philistine. Wow. Verse 7 says that he went down and talked with the woman and she was right in Samson's eyes, excuse me, eyes. And after some days, he returned to to take her, he marries her. Oh, I I just, 
I want to have a like a fireside chat with you for a moment and for you to just sit for a moment and sort of dismiss all the things that you have planned for today and all the things that are hanging over you and all the requirements of your life and for you to hear this this morning. That Samson's failure of faith didn't start at the wedding in verse 8. It doesn't start there. But it starts in verse 7 where he went down and he talked with the woman. You see, the failure of our faith, and I say this to you in context of his sensuality, that the failure of our faith does not start in the bedroom. It starts at the coffee shop. It starts at the Philistine coffee shop is where it begins. If you're out looking for coffee one day and you see a sign that says, Philistine coffee, welcome, run, okay? You don't want to go in there, no. That's where it began. The the enemy has a trap for you because the enemy knows your weaknesses. So he sets a trap for us. But what we realize is that it begins in our lives where something is very subtle and palatable for us to open our hearts and our minds to. Because when you walk too close to your line of commitment, you're going to slip. It's going to happen to you. Can I, let me show you something in this text, and then we move on to our final text. Why is he in a vineyard when he's a Nazarite? He can't eat grapes. He doesn't drink wine but he's in a vineyard. But there's more. Being in the vineyard leads to eating honey from the carcass, the dead body of the lion that he has killed as well. So now Samson is two out of three, right? He is. Remember the third one's cutting his hair. So now Samson is two out of three. But you say, Mark, well, two out of three ain't bad. Can I tell you, that's a song by Meatloaf from 1977. Okay, I understand that. Right? Wouldn't that be great to have the name Meatloaf? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, it's perfect. Yes. How appropriate the album was. Does anybody know the name of the album? If you did, you wouldn't say it, would you? Probably not, right? It's Bad Out of Hell is the name of the album. Yes. I think we get so stuck on the rules that Samson has as a Nazarite. We fail to see, I think, the simplicity of what this is all about. And this is about really consecration. This is about sanctification within our lives. Because here's Samson. He still looks the part because his hair is intact. But in reality, did you know this? That that Samson's strength was not actually in his hair, right? We, we know that, right? It was not in his hair. Samson's strength was in his commitment to God. And when he steps away from that commitment, but notice he doesn't step away from that commitment in, in its entirety, but he steps away from that commitment in steps, a digression in his life. Because that's the way the enemy works. Verse 6 says that then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. 
that God even meets Samson in that moment. Wow. Last verses, verse 11. Here's what it says. And as soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. A little long, but hang on. Just, I don't know how to do this without reading it to you. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you think Samson is all brawn and no brain, we have been taught wrong about Samson. That's not him at all. In fact, I think Samson was a very intelligent guy. He, he comes up with a riddle. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast, the bachelor party, and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changing of clothes. 30 nice suits is what he's saying. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changing of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the, <clears throat> out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. You say, oh, Mark, I can solve that. Stop. You already know the story, okay? But they don't, right? And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you in your father's house with fire. Nothing like a little encouragement, right? Yes. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept. Over him and said, and he's, she's saying this to Samson, you only hate me. You, you do not, I almost changed my voice for a moment, right? You only hate me is what she's saying. You do not love me. You have a, put a riddle to my people and, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I, I have not told my father nor my mother. And shall I tell you? She wept before him for seven days that their feast lasted. Dude, I would have told her after four days, right? I mean, I wouldn't have gone all seven. Absolutely, just please stop. Here's what it means, right? And, and, and on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. Last thought, and then we pray. It all starts in Timnah. We have started each one with that and will lead to a refusal to deal with our weaknesses. So what is worse, our weaknesses? Or is it the refusal to deal with them? What's worse in our life? You say, Mark, there's a few more verses. I know, I know. I'm gonna read them to you, verse 18. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? They solved the riddle. And he, well, they really didn't. I guess, you know, she told them. And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Can I stop for a moment and give you a warning? Never call your wife a heifer, okay? I'm just saying. Babe, have I ever called you a heifer? Oh, good. I know, because we're still married, right? So that's that's the sign, right? Absolutely, never do that. It's not a good thing. Just saying. It's not a compliment. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. You see, God even shows up at that moment. Isn't this amazing? And he went down to Ashkelon, and he struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. 
and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. What if marriage still worked like that? I just thought about that, wouldn't it? Your marriage doesn't work out. Whoever's the best man at your wedding gets your wife. I mean, I don't know. That's, that can go good or bad, right? I suppose. I'll move on. It's not the point. So here's Samson. He's angry at losing. He's angry at his wife. I mean, you have to be angry to call your wife a heifer. He's angry because he has to pay up. He takes that anger out on 30 guys, 30 Philistines in the next town, and he pillages their closets and takes their clothes and brings them back to pay his debt. And he moves back home with his mom and dad. But here's the point. Read the words and read what's not there. It's never his fault. You ever seen that? It's never his fault. Yeah, God uses his anger, of course. Yes, I understand that as God has done in the past. But God is dropping a rock in his pond again. He's making him uncomfortable in the middle of his comfortability as he has assimilated into that of the culture of the Philistines. But it's his refusal to deal with his issues. But God keeps dropping rocks in his pond. Maybe you say, well, Mark, you know, I have a real short fuse. I have a bad temper, but that's just the way that I'm wired, right? That's just the way that I'm wired. Wait a minute. What's worse? That weakness or your refusal to deal with? Is it the temper in your life? And I just chose one thing. Man, I had a long list of things. Or the justification of that weakness. What is it? Is it fear for you or bitterness or unforgiveness or anger? Worry, lust, an idol in your life. Well, Mark, I, I'm offended you say that because I, I put nothing before God. But remember the definition of an idol. What have you put that is equal with God in your life? What is it? You see, for years, it's my note about happy birthday to hope. Let me pick that up for a moment. You see, for years, I was angry. But, and I'm just being transparent with you this morning. I wasn't a, a bad person to live with. I don't think so. Ask Reba later on. Okay, I won't ask her in front of you, but you can ask her. But inside, there was some unresolved anger in my life for years. And I shared this a little bit of this with you before, but for years I was, I was angry at my father, angry at my biological father because of what I felt like was abandonment on his part. But I refused to deal with it. 
Reba would tell me in godly counsel, you know, you need to deal with this. You need to, you need to come to terms with this and give this to God and talk to him about it. And I couldn't, I, well, no, that's true. Not true. Beyond, I wouldn't because I was angry and I was justified in the way I felt. Until God dropped a rock in my pond. Don't you just hate that sometimes? It wasn't just a small rock, it was a boulder. It was the days that I sat with my biological father who did not raise me. And I felt like he never fought for me to come see me, but yet I sat with him when he was dying and leaving this world. that I did all the things with him that a caregiver would do in those moments. And I tell you, to be, I had to work through some feelings in my own life in those moments. Because I thought nothing would ever keep me from my boys, nothing. You would have to kill me to keep me from my boys. But after my father's death and God still dropping rocks in my pond and disturbing me through all of this, because when we got to the funeral home and got to talking about the service and all that, they, they all looked at me and said, well, we really don't have anybody to preach his funeral. And they all looked at me because I'm like the, you know, the resident preacher, right? And so I said, no, you know, wait. And I told Reba in the car, I would not do that. And what did I say? Sure, I'll do it. And then after his death, and we're cleaning out his his personal effects, and I said I wouldn't get emotional this morning, but we came across a box. And these are a few of them. This letter is dated December 10th, 1969 to an individual by the name of Mark Dawson. That's me. And I opened the box that we found and there were, I don't know, a hundred letters that he wrote me throughout my life like these few that I brought. And they were always, they're all marked on the front, returned to sender and sent back to him. And I said, God, thank you for a rock in my pond that has caused a ripple in my comfortability this problem of my life. And I gave that to God. So what are the ripples in your pond today about? As God numerous times moves on Samson's life, but yet Samson refuses to deal with those things. What is it? Because I would encourage you today 
as we pray, I would encourage you to deal with it. This all starts with you being in the wrong place at the wrong time, opening your mind and your heart to something that you should not have. This begins with you turning your back on some counsel in your life, godly counsel. This moves on to you walking that fine line of your commitment with God to the point where you refuse to deal with the issues of your life. Can I tell you from experience? Not just a pastor, not just somebody that studies scripture, but from experience, deal with the issue. Deal with it today. Let it begin today. Let the journey start now between you and God. Don't hold it in all those years. God's dropping a rock in your pond to create a disturbance and a ripple to change you, to change your life this morning. So would you pray with me for a moment, please? So Father, you love us enough, more than enough to create disturbances in our lives. That, God, you don't stand back and watch us self-destruct, but you inject yourself into where we are in the middle of our unforgiveness, in the middle of our anger. And you don't give up on us. So, Lord, Drop some rocks in some people's ponds in this room this morning and create a ripple. Stir them. Create a disturbance in their lives. And let that begin today in their hearts, in their minds. to realize that you never give up on us and you never quit. So let today be a moment of change and a moment of surrender. Thank you, Father. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.